Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand, continual changes, teachers, Senkos, leaders and parents need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives and the Sendcast is the answer. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie is amazing. She has spent her teaching career really looking into how people learn. In this episode, we're discussing how students can become dyslexic grade risers. This approach is designed to help students with dyslexia, but as many things, it will benefit all students. Before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual SEND Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to, as they are always available. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. This week's show is on how to become a dyslexic grade riser, an approach to help students with dyslexia to learn and prepare for exams. Our guest is Dr. Susie Nyman, the curriculum manager at the Sixth Form College in Farnborough. She's passionate about discovering how children learn and supporting them in ways which enable them to succeed. She's provided training to PGCE students at Kingston University and in a number of local schools and colleges on teaching strategies. She also delivers talks on multi-century techniques around the world. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you very much, Dale. Lovely to be here today. Excellent. I'm going to go straight for the really obvious question, the really big one. What is a dyslexic grade riser? So someone with dyslexia, they want to rise in their grades, maybe move from a C to a B, and how to do that with exams, with various different techniques that I've developed over the last 25 years. So this technique isn't like something a month before the exam, a a student's going to come up to you and go, I need to do better in this exam in a month's time. This is actually something which lasts the entire course. Yeah, so preparing them for taking their exams, maybe starting it at year 10, ready for their GCSEs in year 11. This work was was originally set up at Farnborough by one of the psychology teachers. He's actually currently the head of psychology. And he asked his students, what do you do before, during and after the lessons? And what I'm going to talk about today is the results of that information, but then also knitting together the information as a moderator for OCR and also working with examiners at Farnborough, the information that they give me too. So I suppose they, although we're talking about dyslexic grade rise, in reality, they were asking all the students what they do. So actually this helps every, every student, every child. And it is, it looks like from the, uh, I've got the great uh, mind map, it looks, it makes a lot of sense. And I sit there and think, well, not my life. Didn't do that. Didn't do that. <laughs> so um, where's the best place to start in sort of discussing this approach? I think what they do before the lessons and, and sort of set them up ready for the two-year cycle. I mean, it's really important to get a copy of the specifications so that they can understand what they're aiming for. And if they look at those specifications and work out what they do and they don't understand and what they need help with, and they're going to plan that information, plan what they know, what they don't know, and how they're going to revise that. 
I mean, it's really important to, before the lesson, maybe read the book chapter on that particular topic. But as someone with dyslexia, that's possibly going to be difficult. So you could actually use an audio book and listen to that book. You might use a video. For example, you might watch The Tempest as, as a video in English. Or it could be you can't access that book at all, and therefore you have a scanning pen that scans the text, and then you can save that information and it reads it back to you. If you want to use that information for an essay later on, then you can upload that into your computer and then work on that if you want to use that for an essay. Also, the RNIB has um, a book share. And you don't have to be visually impaired in order to access those books. You can also be dyslexic or aspergic or, you know, on the ASD spectrum, and you can still access half a million of those books, audio books, and actually listen to those as well. Or you could have it as an e-book and then you can use some software called Dolphin from Dolphin that will then screen read that information back to you. Cool. So I know... um... I did a course a long time ago where they gave me a pre-reading book and I read it and didn't really understand it. But when I went on to the actual course, they started talking about it. It then started joining the dots from what I'd read. So sometimes that pre-reading, just reading it once, so you've got those words in your head and it doesn't quite make sense, that's fine. Because when you go in, when they start covering it, it's, it's, I think it's called flip learning or something. Yes. It then starts, and that's when you can ask the questions. Whereas if you've just heard it for that first time, it's hard to ask the questions. You think, I don't quite get this. You're formulating in your mind. Whereas if you've had a chance to do that, then you're ready to ask those questions and check your understanding. So that's a, I think that's a really important thing, is knowing what's coming next. Yeah, and having that glossary of terms, actually understanding before the lesson, if you've got a glossary of terms, you know, in geography or, or history, or, or any subject, to be honest, and, and breaking those words down and understanding the words, you know, whether the words come from Latin or Greek. Stoma means mouth in Greek. Atrium is the biggest room in the Roman house that, that, that appears in the heart. So actually understanding those words and knowing the word origins and then being able to break it down so that as a dyslexic, you might be reading something and you think, oh my goodness, I just don't know what that word means. And then your brain just gets clogged up with information and then you can't process it because you just don't understand. And you might have to read it three, four, five times until you actually understand what the book is about. Yeah, I suppose because a lot of time when you read a word, you read it and think, oh, it's like that, and you move on. But Mm -hmm. if you're approaching a word which you've not come across before Mm -hmm. and you're going, I don't know this word... I suppose it makes it challenging, yeah, learning where it's come from and having it makes life easier to understand. Mm, definitely. It's important to read through your notes that you've written before and keep reviewing those notes to ensure that it keeps in your brain and you're, you're helping your brain to remember that information and stopping that forgetting curve. If you only look at it once, with time, that information decreases. So if you keep reviewing it, you're more likely to remember it. Something before the lesson I've got here is to understand the command verbs. And the command verbs are the examiner's toolkit, if you like. Okay. And um, as a moderator, if you go out into a centre and and a student has to 
describe, for example, the circulatory system. They need to know what that word describe means or explain, etc. And so if you're going into class and you're asked to, for example, write an essay plan for a topic and they've asked you to evaluate it, then you're going to be looking at the information and making a quantitative judgment against the information so you know what you're doing. However, if you go in and the teacher says you've got to analyse why in maybe in history why the why the war started or something like that, you're you're looking at the pros and cons of why things happened, um, that sort of information. So to be aware of those command verbs because you could be in class analysing that information that you've read before in flipped learning, or you could be analysing something in science that you're going to do in class. You might be analysing experimental results, for example, in an experiment somewhere. So I suppose when you talk about those command verbs, is you're talking about them in the context of the exam. Yes. As you said, analysing, evaluating, to me, is quite a similar thing. I analyse and then I go, which one's best using that information? But actually, what, what you're saying is they're two different things within the context of the exam. So it's important yeah. to know when you see evaluate, it's going to mean I need to do this, 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 this and this. Yeah. When it's analyse, this is what I'm aiming for. So that's, that's quite an important difference. So I've written them down on a card today, Dale, because I have to make sure that I get them right, okay? And if I visit a centre as a moderator, if they've analysed it rather than evaluated it, etc., you can't accept it. So you have to withdraw that unit. So analyse is separate information to components and identify their characteristics. Discuss the pros and cons of a topic or argument and make a reasoned judgment or comment. However, evaluate is make a qualitative judgment taking into account different factors and using available knowledge, experience or evidence. So everybody thinks they're the same, but in yeah. fact, what the examiner's looking for is very, very different. And that, that, those particular two command verbs can vary across different exam boards, but essentially that's what the exam boards are looking for. So, yeah, I suppose my daughter, when she's at secondary school, if you asked her what happened in this, she could write two paragraphs of text. Mm. But it's understanding in that question, what is it asking? And being honest, and then, okay, so it's actually asking me that. In reality, what it's asking me is, based on how many marks there are, what are the three big things from this? Mm -hmm. Not paragraphs. It's, it's really important understanding what those are. And I think having the understanding of this is what the exam is asking for from you really helps you think because it's going to shape everything you do. So when you're doing note-taking, mm -hmm. if you're thinking of evaluating analysis, you're going to be looking for different bits of information with what you're doing. So it's going to really help you know what to record in your notes. That's right, and what the examiners are looking for. I think as you're in, you know, when you're in class, you're sitting there and the teacher is talking to you, and as a dyslexic, it's, it can be quite difficult because you might have slow processing so the teacher's given you some information. You haven't quite processed what she's asked you to do. You might have visual dyslexia, whereby the worksheet, the words are moving around the page. You're reading the wrong words. You've interpreted it wrongly. My son, we went into the farm shop a couple of months ago, and he said to me, Mum, why is there an autistic bakery in there? And I said, no, it's an artisan bakery. Okay. 
So, you know, that's a simple thing, isn't it? That you get completely the wrong end of the stick there. And so that poor dyslexic child in class has read that word completely wrong. Yeah, you know? so I glanced, found a word in the head which kind of matches that pattern mm. and gone, autistic faking. Interesting. Mm. There we go. Yeah, so it's tough. It's tough for them. It could be that you have difficulty with auditory processing. And for this, it could be, for example, I remember as a child, my mum used to force us to watch the news because, you know, it's good for you to watch the news. But I remember watching the BBC News and not having a clue what they were saying because the language was so complex. But if I waited a bit longer and we listened to John Craven's news round, it was easier to understand, wasn't it? Do you remember? So for a dyslexic student, if they've got auditory processing and the teacher's standing at the front giving instructions, that child might not get every word that she's saying. And an example of this was where when we visited the Helen Arca Centre for training, the lady suggested there to speak to one another about what you did on Christmas Day, but don't use the letter E. And in order to do that, the words become distorted and don't make sense. And that is a bit like what it is for a dyslexic So you use student. the words but miss out the E. The E. And then, wow. and then it just doesn't make any sense. It's really difficult to interpret what the person is saying to you. And you can work out some of the things, some of the words, but not all of them. That's an interesting. That's a, I like quite I'll try a game with the kids. That's yeah, that'll be quite hard. When you said without using the word E, like, right, you've got to find all the words which don't have the letter E in. Yeah. And then, but no, saying the words without that's even yeah. more. That's harder. Yes. Yeah. So that I suppose that is just with all this is it's this before stuff starts right at the beginning of the course, doesn't it? So yeah. there's a preparation of yeah. that specification mm-hmm. is really important because often you have a syllabus, mm-hmm. you're going to learn about this, but actually having the detailed specification is mm-hmm. really important. Then having the that exam criteria of those, um, understanding that really well, gives you a start. So when you're getting that information, you know what you're focusing on. Then with each lesson, reading that chapter first, note-taking There's an art note-taking, isn't there? I think so. I mean, people make notes in different ways and there's various, you know, various different ways people do it, but also it works in different ways for different types of learners, I think, and that, you know, it's really important to get the keywords out there or trigger words because that's what the examiner is looking for. Yeah. Some people just rewrite everything out again. Yes. Some people write it out five times. Sometimes boys have come up to me and said, Miss, I've been through my notes, and they just get a fluorescent marker and just go through everything. And I say to them, where are the key words? Sometimes they come up with revision cards and they've written everything on it. But I have spent time with, with students actually saying, don't just write everything out on your revision cards. Write the key words, the key sentences, and then highlight you know, those key words on there. Maybe turn over that card and write questions that come up in the exams as well. That's really useful. Other people, they might prefer to do mind maps, but on the mind map, it's good to use 
what we call dual coding. So you use words and pictures because you use words one side of your brain and pictures the other. So therefore you're remembering that information better. And sometimes in an exam, you can shut your eyes and then imagine that mind map and then remember those answers a lot better. So that note taking can be in various different ways. What we used to do when I was at university, I used to go through my notes and we used to go and buy wallpaper and uh, or lining paper. I used to go in the loft at home actually and get all the old wallpaper that my parents had. And in our flat all round the room was wallpaper of all the notes for all the different parts of chemistry, physical, inorganic, organic. And my friends, the chemists, would come round and we'd have chats about the latest bit of wallpaper that was on the wall and all these different difficult topics to do with organic chemistry or something like that. And yeah, we used to have these parties. They would all come round and we'd, we'd discuss the notes and Susie's house was the one to go round and, and see all the notes in large. Everything was large in the house. It was amazing. Wow. I suppose with notes, I generally, when I go on my courses and I listen, I generally write, they say there are three things. I always think that's quite important. There's three of them. Mm. They always tell me how many, and they've given them three. So generally I write those down. Mm. After, I generally write things which were, are either really important to me. Mm. So I thought, oh, that is genius. I'll write that. Mm. I might, might just write one word down. Or if I get stuck, I'll like, write that down. But I noticed with my daughter's uh, textbook for secondary science, as you go through the chapters, what's great in the book is they often put in a grey box of key information. Mm-hmm. You can literally look through chapters and there's a grey box and a white box every few pages. This is the key. So when, when it's in a book, it's quite easy for me as a parent who doesn't want to read the book to go straight to the key information bit and go, cool. That's what and you can literally, you look at the questions and they're generally referring to that. So when you're in a book, it's quite easy to make identify what they came from. But when someone's giving you that lecture, when someone's talking to you, it can be hard to work out what that key information is. It can, yeah. And I, I remember one of our one of my friends, she used to take the lectures at university and then listen to them again afterwards in her room. I used to hear Professor Covington's voice quite often because she was in the room next to me, listening back to that lecture. Or, you know, a child could, you know take the teacher saying something and before we've been talking about digestive system and the different stages and the students have got a whole line of mobile phones out and they say Susie I can't do it as well as you we're all going to five of them turn the phones on and can you tell us the process of digestion and link all the stories to it so that they can remember it all the bits and pieces and so you do it and then they can go away and they can have that audio file of you speaking about a certain process or how to remember an exam question. So it could be they make the notes as well. They could make their own audio file of it so that they can remember. But to have that hook, to link to something that is personal to them. And whilst at the oratory, a lot of the work always had to link to the rugby field, obviously, because they played rugby a lot. So the speed of reaction would be linked to the boy that was the fastest runner, you know, in the in the year and, you know, things like that and rapid collisions and they'd talk about them, you know, colliding on the field and we'd talk like that about how how a reaction was working. And, and so until I linked it to something that was familiar to those boys, they couldn't remember it. We were talking about one day, we were talking about mountain hares on a mountain, the sort of food 
they would eat. It was a GCSE exam question. I was working with some Chinese boys and they said, I just don't get it, miss. You know, the different types of food that those mountain hares would eat. And I said, what sort of food do you not like eating at school in the school canteen? He goes, chewy steak on a Monday evening, miss. I said, why is that? It's really chewy. You can't digest it. So I said, well, then the mountain hare wouldn't like to eat the old woody heather that's growing on the mountain. She goes, oh, I've got that, miss. And I said, what do you like to eat? And he said, noodles. And I went, well, that's really, why do you like noodles? And he said, because they're easy to digest. And I said, that would be like the fresh, new, young heather plants that those hares eat. So linking it to them, and then he got it because he linked it to himself. Yeah. linked him to, to the food that he eats. So it's not just making the notes, doing the words, the pictures, but having that hook for them to remember it. And as you said earlier, talking about the mnemonics that you may use in order to remember something as well. Yeah. So that's the sort of before. It's, it's being able to prepare a plan and the notes. And then we move on to the sort of the during. Yeah, and I think... During the lesson, it's really important to concentrate. I know students nowadays, you know, that they've got a lot of iPads and iPhones and all this sort of thing, and, and it's really important to get them engaged. So concentrate and listen carefully to the teacher, but also to your peers. And I remember in class when one of my friends would have said something, and I remembered that for future in exams. It could be that you need to ask a friend or a teacher for help. And what was fascinating this year was going around the class individually. And there was a girl right at the back. And I didn't realise she was struggling as much as she was. And the reason was because her friend had been helping her. Every time I said something, her friend had decoded it. If I'd given an instruction, her friend had decoded it. And then she had helped the dyslexic girl next to her to then understand what she had to do. And what, what you do find is that dyslexic learners find very vast array of information really difficult to break down. So it's really important to break it down into sizable chunks. And during the lesson, quite often, we might have mini whiteboards by their desk and then we might give an instruction. We might have to go around and talk them through it again and then make sure they understand what they're doing. And then maybe they write notes on the side or the teacher writes maybe five points to explain further what they've got to do. So, yeah, that's that's really important to ask for help. And I think sometimes when, when children are struggling and they don't want to ask for help and they'll rather sit there and in the background and flounder. Yes. I think um, our previous podcast we've covered that sometimes pupils get used to not understanding. So they don't realise they should be asking questions that mm. other people aren't necessarily, people understand it. So they just sit there going, I sh- no one asks questions, I shouldn't ask questions. But it's it's helping your students be confident in being able to ask questions. Mm, I think so. That's a really important. So if they don't get it, they're happy enough to ask those questions. And just on that tech, so on one hand, we're saying tech can distract. Mm-hmm. But it's important to not just get rid of tech because tech mm. can also really enable. So it's, mm. it's just helping your students to have a better attitude to their tech, mm. to be able to put it on mute and turn it over and ignore it. 
still have it within reach. They've learned to ignore it. They learn to not react every time it buzzes or vibrates. Mm. But actually, sometimes if you've got something complicated on the board, is they could just pick their phone up and take a picture. Would you? Or recording, as you mm. said, um, you said, Susie, recording. Can you just go over that once more and record it? So there's so many benefits to having that tech in the classroom, but it is making sure it is used appropriately. I, I was working with, with a student with A-level English once, and we were looking at the book The Tempest. And, and what we did was we found a website that had information about the, the book that he was reading, and we made Google Slides about the key characters and what they did in the play and things like that. And then I taught his friend... He was doing A-level English as well. And the two of them worked together in their own rooms on this joint Google Slides document and created this list, which which ended up as a list of revision cards. So that's really good. Then you could print them out and they they became their revision cards for the Tempest for their A-level English, which was really useful. Nice. That's nice. I think, yes, I think we've covered a lot. And for me, you've got make notes there. I generally make my notes digitally these days. So I go on my courses, I have my iPad out and I use the notes app. I'll just make my notes. What I like about that is it syncs to my laptop. It syncs to my desktop. So when I make that note on my laptop, I can sit at my computer and my notes are already there. And if I'm not sure on something, I can then highlight it or I can take it into Google and do more. And also it's great because you can search. So when you get it into that, you can literally go, oh, that's thing on something. You can search for it and find that keyword work out where it was. Because sometimes you sit there going, I don't remember that. And I then find well, I look at the notes above it, I've gone, oh, yeah, he was talking about that. And I think through, and I go, oh, yeah. And then we moved on to that. That was that bit. And it goes back to what we talked in the previous part about having that journey, that story linking to it. Yeah, and I think children with dyslexia um, quite often use laptop computers in class because their writing sometimes isn't very good. And my son used a laptop computer from a very early age and he just gets used to it. And yesterday he was working on it. And it's like he's playing the piano. They're so fast at typing nowadays because they've grown up with it and they get familiar with it. When he was revising for his his exams, you know, in our old day, we would sit there and we'd write the notes out and write them out again and maybe find some keywords. I don't know. I don't know that I did keywords when I was young, but that's what we were supposed to do. He would sit in his room and he would watch videos. He would watch videos about any any subject and he would listen to audio books and he would type his notes up in Google Docs. My husband said two weeks before the exams, he said, what on earth is he doing up there? He said, I haven't seen any notes produced. And I said, I don't know, but just trust him on this one. We've got to because, you know, you've got to be careful here. So... He came downstairs and he said, Dad, yeah, what's the matter? Can I go to your office, please? And he said, yeah, why? He said, because I want to print my notes out for my exam. And he said, okay. So they went in. And this paper churned out of the printer. It was like loo roll. It went for miles. And he'd been upstairs, watched all these videos and worked out what all the key words were, worked out all the key phrases, looked at the exam papers, read the mark schemes. I didn't know he was doing that. And created 
this full set of notes that were on bespoke revision cards. And that was it. That's what he had. And it was amazing. And that's what he used to pass the exams. It was all done in Google Docs. It was none of these revision card things in coloured paper. It was just all little pieces of paper. And then we made this little filing box and he put all these little cards in there. Oh, can we go to Smith's and get one of those boxes like you have, Dad, with your cards in it, you know? And so we got this little card index and put all those things in there. And he was really happy. Wow. I would have stayed a digital person. I would never would have printed it out, but that's... Oh, oh. <laughs> there is something about going into that. It's, it's come back to that um, physical process of going through the thing and holding the cards that I think there is a certain level of... People talk about when, the, when they're writing the notes out five times, they talk about the, the muscle memory. Mm. Is, is they're writing it, that's when it goes in. It's like when you rewrite a story in your own words... Mm-hmm you're having to think about it, which makes it go in and things like yeah. that. So there's yeah. lots of different levels to notes. So that's during the lesson. So we've covered preparing for the lesson. We've covered these things should be doing the lesson. What should students be doing after the lesson? Well, this is where I, uh, I've written down. that I think it's like a journey going up Mount Everest and that before you've got the specification, you've got your textbook, you've got your notes, as you go up, you're stopping at the different base camps at Everest. These different stages would be the different base camps. You would do your mind mapping or your flashcards. You do your exam questions. You might get into study groups. And then eventually you're going to prepare for the exam. And that bit after the lesson is where you're preparing for the exam. And you're reading through those notes and referring back. You've got to keep reviewing that to make sure that you don't forget the information. You have to organise your notes and you would do yours digitally, wouldn't you? And each student is different. And I remember a boy many years ago at college, he came in and and we were sorting out his work. And I said, so Chris, where's your notes on the kidney? He just got his bag and tipped it on the table. And he said, well, there's somewhere in there, Susie. I said, but where? And I said, they're not there, Chris. And then I met his mother at parents' evening. She said, you ought to see his bedroom. There's more paper like that all over the floor. (laughs) He has a clue where anything is. And I said, well, could you sort of get him to come in and we'll get him a file and we'll put it in there and they can work out what he has and he hasn't got. So that's what we did. Organise the notes is really important. What students have difficulty with is drafting and redrafting your work. And I know you probably, when you did an essay, thought, well, that'll do. But then the teacher gives it back and says, oh, no, you've got to do some more on that. Do you have that with your children? I'm, I'm literally looking at your list of things you've got after and got, I've never done any of this. <laughs> Might be part of the problem. Oh. So, yeah, literally, keep going, because uh, I'll come yeah. back to this in a minute. But Yeah. So you have to consolidate what you've done and be able to retrieve that information. And when you're consolidating, it's really important. We've already spoken about going through the textbook and organising the notes. Highlight and colour code those trigger words in your notes. Um, That's really, really important. Maybe put a picture there. But get the student to check those notes on the VLE. It could be Google Sites. It could be in Microsoft. They, They might have some sort of Microsoft Teams thing there. 
looking at the textbooks. And with the textbook, it's really important to, for a dyslexic student to find the textbook that they understand. And we actually went up to Blackwell's in Oxford to go and get a book because we were only 15 miles from Oxford. And, and I sat there on the floor with all the English textbooks, my son, and I said to him, which one do you want me to buy? He says, don't really want any books. I don't read books. And I said, yeah, but we've got to get a book. And we came out with this York Notes, had words and pictures, and it was all colour-coded. It was much easier to read than other books that were just lists of text with no pictures. So it's important to find the right book. Consolidation, I've said to you there before, make flashcards, maybe colour-code them. If it's a question in history, why did the Second World War start? And then you've got three different answers on a pink that, so the original question's on blue, and then the answers are on pink, yellow, and green. Mind maps, you might make a model when you're consolidating. You might make a model of, for example, what happened in the Battle of Hastings. We spoke earlier about using Playmobil men or something like that. Simplify your diagrams. And as I said earlier, create a revision wall. But what I remember doing when I did my A-level chemistry, was to actually make a poster of all the organic chemistry reactions and how they all fitted together because I wanted to see that overview. And then I could just picture in my mind an alkane went to an alkene. How did I do that? And I could just remember it. Now, it's really important to practice and plan past exam questions. And what you'll notice is that a lot of them are very, very similar because they only have a certain bank of information they can ask you. Do that under time conditions. And that's what people really struggle with, isn't it? Yeah. I think that the time conditions, use the mark schemes and examiner's notes, compare the model answers to your own work. I know this sounds a bit keen, but I've put hand in extra exam questions for marking. That's very keen, isn't it? Very keen. I remember, particularly with chemistry, we did all the past papers. And I remember doing the January and June series. And after a while, you just knew the answers because it was the same thing over and over and over again. And what you can do is create similar exam questions. And in my first year at Farnborough, we had an evolution exam. And my old biology teacher, when I was... Um, do my A-levels, he was the chief examiner of the London board at XL Pearson now. And he said to me, there are certain types of questions. Fill in the gaps, tick in the boxes, short answers, long answers, etc. And he said to me that in an exam paper, there will be all these different types of questions. So you need to be familiar with how to answer those questions. So what I did in the morning with the girl in... Um, the evolution exam, I said, okay, let's create a tick in the box question about this topic in evolution, a fill in the gaps. And we used a whole rolly board. We were there all day. Do you know what? Most of those questions we created came up in the exam. Wow. It was. It's never happened before or since. (laughs) But on that one day, many years ago, it happened. And so I would get my students to... um, try and create their own exam questions so that when they went in the exam, they'll be familiar with that information, which is really good. 
So I'm just I'm just going through this after thing. Yeah. Those first three things you had about reading through your notes and textbook, organizing your notes, draft mm. and redraft your work and column solidate. And we're literally yeah. going, I did none of that. And I think I know. I when know. I was when you were at primary school, you learn about a topic, in that topic, you can forget about it. It's never going to be used again in terms of that thing. But when you're at secondary school and you're learning about the different parts of the flower or you're learning photosynthesis, you know, you do that topic, but when you get to the end of it, it's not finished. You are going to use it again. So the idea of actually doing this, I don't is, I never did that, and it was never made as you should be doing this at the end of the lesson. It's not to me stuff like exam prep is you do a month before the exam. Mm. But actually, what you're saying here is read through your notes, make sure you've understood it correctly, mm-hmm. then make your notes make sense for when you come back to this in a year's time. Yeah, make this ready to be almost like put it in a bundle. Put it in a pack, put that away. So when you come back, you get it out again. It all makes sense and everything is there. So but review it as well. So yeah. that's really important is making sure after the exam is what you've done makes sense and you put it together in a way that makes sense. When you come back, you can go through it again. That was like a light bulb moment to me. That was like, because I sit really? there, and some of my stuff my daughter's doing at the moment in science is make a poster. And I go, why are you making a poster? Oh, what is, what a waste of time. Actually, what probably the teacher means is make a poster and then keep it for later. Whereas we actually make the poster and when we finished, we throw it away because it just takes up space. Take a photo. Put so it on your it's, phone. It's, sometimes when the teacher says to you something, is this a reason for that, making that poster? Mm. But as a parent and my daughter, we might not have realised it. Mm. So actually it's there to help them later on. But actually we're thinking we finished that topic. I can get rid of that now. No, it's there to help you revise later. So it could be that you take a photo of that poster and then you create in your Google Docs or whatever you use, Microsoft, folders, folder for biology. And that's what my son did, just dump everything in that folder, divide it into topics, photosynthesis, respiration, cell, whatever. And, yeah, make that poster. And as you're doing it, colour code it. Yeah, we're just seeing it for making a poster. We're not seeing it Mm. as making a poster to help me later. Yeah. That's a huge, in my head, that's a huge difference. That's a, yeah, sometimes you might mean for this, but it's making sure with your students, you are explicit. Mm. You're, let's make a poster so you can do this later on. It's adding that last bit, that sentence on, really makes it clear why you're doing it. Mm. So, yeah, that's, um, I'll be doing that with my daughter tonight. Sometimes, often actually, we will get a piece of banqueting roll as big as, this table, which is about four or five, six desks that you would have in a classroom, I suppose. And all the students would sit around it. I call it my conference style formation. And we would start with a question and the students put all the information they know about that question, all the answers they know. And then I would would give them a minute, write the information down. And then what I would do is I get them to stand or rise, as in the court, two steps to the left, sit down, and then give them the next stage of that question. So if you've done identify in the first bit, it could be describe. But because it's not the person next to them, they don't know what the other person has written. So they have to think about it more. So they then have to describe whatever you've given to them. They write it down. You give them a minute. All rise, two steps to the left. They then have to explain whatever they've written on a you know similar point that the person's written down 
And then you, it, you end up with this massive mind map of information from all 20 students in the class. And they're so excited. And what they do is, I said, you can get your phones out now. Because they love getting their phones out. So getting their phones out. <laughs> I mean, that is the thing to do, isn't it? Get your phone out. So they all stand up and they take a photo. And that's your essay plan for your homework tonight. It's quite good because you're getting what other people awesome. thought was key information. That's mm-hmm. quite a good one. And that's always funny. Is, is, I've been in situations where four of us have, to me, have heard the same information and four of us have come away with completely different ideas of what the next step is mm. or what the key bit of information is. So it's, it's great being able to sit there and go, why did that person write that? That's not important. And it might not be important. It might be important. But the fact is, put that question in your mind is you're going to go find out, is that important or not? And you can tease out from the whole class as you go around, harvest that knowledge and share all their answers, their opinions. And it's, it's a really nice thing to do. Really, really well, nice. And it's quite good doing that two steps to the left, not one. Yeah, because you can't see what that person's yeah. written. And the thing about moving as well, it's all about brain gym, isn't it? If you get them to move, then then they're not sitting still and their, their circulation's firing, you know, is moving around better and they're concentrating better. And, and you've got to get out of that chair, stand up, sit down. And the excitement of standing up and sitting down and there's a bit of chat, you know, give them a bit of chat for a second or so. Right, okay, you've had your chat time because you've got to give them a bit of chat time. Then they sit down and then they can get on with the next bit. And they really love it because I give them Hawaii Five O. There's something called Classroom Tools and you can get Hawaii Five O for 57 seconds and it's... Oh, God, get it written down. Oh, I am quite written down. You can see them panicking because they know that the music's going to finish and Susie's going to come in, what have you written? And, and they really try hard because they've got this timer, this musical timer that they've just got to fight against. Oh, that's brilliant. It's like the countdown thing, is it? Yeah. Well, I'll do that one as well, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I'll give them that one as well. And they will get quite excited about it. So just going through this before, during and after, it is, there's a lot more going on in learning as a student than I ever understood when you're getting to this sort of secondary a level and beyond it is actually it's not a case of just turning up listening to what they're making notes and finishing actually for all students they should be doing a lot more they every student should be looking at the specifications looking at what the difference you analyze all that lot that should be going on and problem is students don't know they should be doing this so it's actually almost at the start of the course, start of secondary school, start of the GCSE period, start of the A-level, is actually going through this. And in reality, if you just spend the first lesson or two going through all this sort of stuff, it will mean they get more out of every lesson after that. I think so. And there is a company called Elevate that are based in Australia, and they come over and uh, the people are all very, very young and they give talks to students and they stand up at the front with a flip chart and they go through organising your time, having a goal, making sure that you plan your time, looking at motivation and various bits and pieces, how to take notes, how to break down notes, how to find trigger words, how to organise, how to answer a question. I mean, various bits and pieces like that. So if they do that at the start of the fourth year, year 10, 
and review it again at the fifth year, year 11, and then do it again at A-level, it really focuses that student's mind on what they're supposed to be doing. But not only that, by starting that at the start of the year and all students listening to that, if you then get the teachers on board and they're doing that in the lessons as well, then you can start raising their achievements. And our grades at college for health with the exams went up 10% just looking at the command verbs, just tuning into those, knowing what the command verbs are and finding a strategy to remember that information, you know, in the way that is personalised to that student. As I said to you earlier, it could be your you're singing to the circulatory song in order to remember the words. Yeah. I suppose in some ways people may think passing the exam is down to intelligence. Mm. It's not. It's about tactics. It is. It's all about knowing. And you can sit there and if you know the rules of the game mm. and if you play that game, mm. you can do really well. Mm. But you have to know that. and. I think that's a really big thing. I think schools have to help their students realise that they don't know this game. They're playing it for the first time, and the first time you play it, it's the important time. Because actually what you don't want to do is go through it once and fail, because that will give you sort of bad mental health towards it. You'll not be positive that whole approach of doing it again. You'll just feel, well, the GCSEs didn't go great. I'm not going to do A-levels, am I? Actually, it's making sure that the children have these skills, they know the processes, they know what they should be doing. And I, I think, I just think back to me and just going, oh, you're revising and sitting in that room, having no idea what to do because I actually never made a note. I never made notes. What was I actually supposed to revise? I'm looking at textbooks. I'm going, oh, it's top, but what am I supposed to be revising? What is the key bits? Of, and not knowing any of that, but somehow supposed to be doing all this revision. And, yeah, it's helping children understand that, helping them see what it is they should be doing before and the after is helping them get ready for that exam. And doing that whole process can really transform. So you've talked about 10% going up just by understanding the things. You've also mentioned children going from 20, is it 27 to 50% mm. just by doing something. So it can have huge impact. It's not like this will make a, a little difference. Doing some of this stuff can make a huge difference. And it just comes back to, so Susie's got this Everest uh, sort of diagram, and it is realising that this Everest isn't your two months before the exam. It's the two-year journey, and it's realising that's how long it takes to actually be ready for the exam. It's not something you, you do not a lot for a year and a half, and you try and fix it in the last few months. It actually, it's, it starts from the very, very beginning. It does, and you just can't cram it in at the end. There's another company apart from Elevate called Vespa. That's another company that has visited a lot of schools and colleges internationally, actually, all over the world. And um, they call, they've got this acronym Vespa, vision. You have to have a vision. And what you find in class is the students that are struggling are the ones that have got no vision. What do you want to do? I don't know. Where do you work? McDonald's, you know, they don't know what they want to do. And until you can get them to have a vision and say, I want to be a firefighter, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor, or whatever it is they want to do, I want to be an artist, 
until they've got that vision, they won't work. They've got nothing to strive for. The E in Vesper is effort. And they don't realise how much effort you have to put in. You have to put in a lot of effort in order to pass your exams. And Vesper have actually worked this out by talking to students, A, B, C, D, E, grades, etc. So they say a poor student will put in one to two hours a week. Satisfactory student might do three to four. A good might do five to six, but an excellent one will do nine to ten hours a week of extra work. And I don't think every student does that. It, you know, I know there are bright students, but they must have learnt it somewhere to get their A or A star. They must have put the effort in somewhere. Well, they're, they're those lucky students who can just visualise and mm-hmm. absorb information, like uh, um, Johnny Five from uh, Short Circuit, if you remember that <laughs> field. <laughs> just flick through the book. Yeah. I- and done. I got a friend who who did medicine and she used to just sit in our flat and go, just look at the page and go, yeah, know that. Yeah, she had a photographic memory and she used to just sit there and look at it, just remember it. And then she goes, Oh, do you want to go for a walk? I said, Oh, I've still got to learn about so-and-so for for my lecture tomorrow or my test tomorrow. And she just looked at it and remembered it. Yeah, but there are people like that. Aren't I just want to touch on that because I, when, when we were talking about earlier, there's something I want to say, I forgot it, but you just basically, what you said about that Vesper is exactly what I wanted to say is people talk about the uh, lead violinist in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, they're just amazing. They just, mm-hmm. they're just, they're lucky. No, no, they practice the most. They do. They're the people who do twice as much practice as the other violinists. And those violinists are the ones who do twice as much practice as the violinists who can't get in. And they're the ones who can't get in. They're the ones. And it just, it is all down to effort. There is, there is talent in there, not saying yeah. that. But not many people just have a talent and get to that centre stage and be looked at just because they have a talent. They get there because they have talent and they put in hard work. And I think that that vision and the effort are very much linked. If you yeah. think you're going to be at McDonald's, why put the effort in? If you think mm. you're not going to go anywhere, why put that effort in? But that vision comes back from how valued. It's a whole uh, mental health thing about schools and that vision. Of how does that child end up not believing they can get there, they can make something with their lives? And then, so if you can get them believing and they'll put that effort in. And that's so important. Because over my door in my classroom, it says, when you believe, you can achieve. Oh, yeah. And so they're coming in from the surrounding areas, from the feeder schools, and they might have done not very well at their GCSEs. And they say, oh, I'm doing this subject because I'm not very good at it. I'm doing it And I say, okay, I'm going to get a pass. I say, no, you can do better than a pass. And the first four weeks every day... I talk about fixed and growth mindset that yeah. says, yeah, I can't do it. Of course you can do it. You just need a bit of help. No, I'm rubbish. No, you're not. And there's this toing and froing. It's like a tug of war, isn't it? A toing, I can't do it. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. And you just sort of switch off from the, no, you can't. It's a bit like, you know, when a baby screams, when they're a baby and it's screaming, 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 and you just have to switch off from the scream. You think, I just pick it up. and at it and change its nappy and talk to it nicely and it'll stop screaming at some point 
a child's like that that comes in with all this baggage. We call it an emotional backpack at college. And this emotional backpack gets unloaded into your classroom when you find out the reasons why that student thinks that they're rubbish. And you have to encourage them to believe that they can do it. And once they believe, they will achieve. My, my daughter loves doing art. Mm. Problem is, she'll look at a painting that someone's done on the internet that someone's shared and go, I can't do that. And I read this thing going, you always compare your first step with almost like someone's pinnacle with their final, with mm. their 7,000th hours step. You're at step one. You can't compare yourself to that. Compare yourself to you. Compare yourself to last week. Compare yourself to last year. Mm. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Different journey. That, But I think art is quite a good one because often you'll see someone's look at my, this is my, my portrait I did three years ago. This is my portrait. And you'll see a huge difference. That's mm. their journey. But often you'll see someone's, portrait they just don't go oh, I can't do that some people sit there and go I'm gonna I'm gonna get this good others will just see that as a I can't do that and that's a barrier so I won't try but it's realizing that's not their first painting they didn't just go I'm gonna paint and paint that amazing picture actually they've been painting for years they've made lots of mistakes they've had lot lots of temper tantrums. they've had lots of things they've thrown it in the bin but they've always kept going and that's what's gotten to there and life is like a game around us some people hit the ball and get round in one go. I stop at each base and fall over in between. <laughs> but you still it, get there. You get there in the end, you know, and it might be better in the end and you might remember it better. I used to play the last post at school because it was a girls' school. And in order to play that last post, you obviously have to be able to play the trumpet. But you have to get those notes perfect. And you have to do the groundwork, like you said. And you might spend an hour just practicing a C to get that note perfect and clear. And one of my teachers, he, um, he used to play the trumpet in the London Symphony Orchestra. And I used to go to him for a lesson up in um, North Essex. All we ever did was just play one note for about half an hour. And I go, yeah, but can't we do the piece of music? Can't we play the Haydn trumpet concerto or something? Oh, no, Susie, you have to get that one note right. Because when you get that one note right, the rest of it will sound beautiful. And so you would spend hours, like an artist, perfecting your craft. Playing, you know, I'm probably the only person that's only ever played one note for half an hour in a lesson. Problem is, is one of the things is yes. you're sitting there in your head going, why am I doing this? I know, I know. And it goes back to this is, why are you doing this? Well, let me explain why we're doing this, mm -hmm. just the C note for an yeah. hour and a half. Yeah. For the next six weeks. These are the reasons is yeah. you need to get the timing. You need to get your breathing, you consistency. It's the breathing, the warmth, the note. Yeah. All this lot. And once you can do it for this one, you can then apply do it. it for the rest. But what you're expecting is I'll do a different song every month and I'll, I'll, I'll slowly get better. But no, he, it's, it's all about explaining to people why we're we doing it this way. Your expectation mm. was this, but we're not doing it that way. We're doing it this way. And it just helping and so many times i sit there and go why are we doing this because mm. that was a favorite when i was young because yeah and you're perfecting you're perfecting that art of how to play the trumpet pass an exam and as i said to you earlier 
that becoming a grade riser is like a crock of mush, didn't I? Yes. And each individual profiterole is part of one of those stages. So a crock and bush is that pile of profiteroles. Profiteroles, yeah, yeah, to be able to pass the exam. And um, that's what I see it as, that you need to have all these skills and you need to be able to do those before, during and after. And you be able to need to perfect those skills so that when you go into that exam, you read the question and you understand it and you can answer it. So my my favorite story. Yeah. My favorite story from exam was uh, my A level computing. First question: What are the three stages of updating a file? Straight to how many marks there was. Not a lot. Right. Short answer. What is this? What is this? What is, okay. Open. Edit. Save. Is it going to be that? Yeah. 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 I'm happy with that. I wrote one. Open. Two. Edit. Three. Save. And I glanced over and I was next to the girl in the class who always did loads of work. And I'd sit there and go, she's written one. I've literally gone, she's written half a side of A4. That immediately, I doubted myself. So I'm literally looking at this going, what the hell? And it went on. And I'm on to question two. And I'm glancing over at this girl and she wrote a side and a half for that question. And at this point, I'm going, I'm going to fail this because I've completely misunderstood that question. And I went through it all. And got to the end, and it's a three-hour exam, so it's quite a long exam. And came out, and the first thing I did, I walked straight up to her and went, "Question one. Open, edit, save." She went, "Oh, God, it took me ages to explain all the processes." And I was like, "What do you explain?" She started telling me, and I went, "Oh no!" She, "Well, what did you write?" I went, "I wrote open, edit, save." <laughs> the look on her face <laughs> when she finally went. Oh, yeah, because like, there's only one mark. She was just going, oh. She went into full detail. She didn't see the mark. So I think I was right in the end. Mm. And looking at her face, but it, mm. I think I was, but it was, she went, I've got to go full detail. I've got to explain mm. everything. But yeah, it's understanding those questions. That's the biggest thing to start with. And I do various Microsoft exams. And they're all multi-choice. And I could do hour and a half exams in 25 minutes because I have a really good tactical way of going using multi-choice because mm. their questions they asked, there was always four answers, two are completely wrong, two are there, and it could be either of those. And generally, you can always discard two, and it's just reading the question, reading that, and it's just having that the specification, knowing what's coming, having the, knowing what you expect just means I can fly through these exams. Mm. And there are times where I go, I don't know that question. You can pause and come back to it. Generally what happens is I go through exams, something will come up and I go, ah, I now know the answer to that question. Number four, and you'll fly through it 25 minutes because I might not know the topic, but I have the process. I have the way of answering it. I've understood how they're asking their questions and I know how to answer. I might not, some of the questions I've answered and probably got right, I didn't know the answer to. I just knew enough to not select the wrong answers. I've said to some of my students sometimes, um, my piano teacher, we used to do the first four bars and I couldn't get it right. Right, we'll do it five times, we'll do it ten times. And they go, oh, you're so rubbish. Why aren't you as good as your sister, which we were talking about earlier? I would then play the rest of the piece and then goes, right, play the first four bars. And it's really interesting because your brain works it out while you're doing something else. 
and then you go back. Now pay the first four bars. I'll pay it perfectly. He goes, you're so annoying. You're not like your sister. She always gets it right first time. But that's the thing. Like your exam, you have that question that you can't do. Your brain's working it out when you're doing the other questions in the rest of the paper. And then you go back to it. Yeah. I think it's stuff like playing the piano is like the flow. Yes. So it's like if you read a poem, you've got to work out what the flow is. You'll read the first line and you'll say it, and then you'll go, and as you go through, you're going, ah, I'm starting to get the rhythm now. And you'll sit there and you'll read it. And the second time you read it, you'll get the rhythm. So sometimes it is, don't just go to go through. A number of times I've just written in an exam, one. I don't know. Left a gap. But by the end of the exam, my head's churned on it or something I've come mm. across and it's able to me to go back and answer that first question. So as we come towards the end of the podcast, you've got a lovely board. Yeah, I wrote this exam question task board, which really summarises everything in order to become a grade riser and actually be able to answer exam questions. And Oka have published this for me. And um, it's really useful because it's right on wipe off. So you can use it over and over again and you can use it for any exam question you have. So it's, it's like an, it's an A3 kind of Fomex board, which you can use. Is it a whiteboard marker type thing? Yeah, yep. yeah, you can use that, a board marker on it. And at the top left, I've got the, the name of the school, wherever you are, the student name, the student number. And then decoding the exam question, I've got level two, GCSE level three or A level. And the subject, the paper number, so the student knows which paper number they're doing. And the topic, because... I've had a student that's written a fantastic essay about the circulatory system and they're supposed to be writing about the digestive system. So they got zero marks. What is the task? And it's really important for a dyslexic student to be able to decode that exam question and work out what the task is. Within an exam, you'll have different types of questions. And those questions could be multiple choice, short answers, fill in the gap, stick in the box, a diagram, comprehension or a longer one, and that could be a description, analysis, an evaluation, an outline, etc. But the most important thing on my board is the bit in the middle where I've got the examiner's five ideas, and here the first bit is the command verb. And there's a hierarchy of command verbs, and they're based on Bloom's taxonomy. Identify name and list. Coming back to your question earlier when you're talking about file edit, save, etc. If it's identify name and list, it's one mark. Don't waste your time. Write the one word down, move on. What are those key words in the question? What are they looking for? It could be that there's a word in there that you're not quite sure of. And so have a think about it. Do we need to break it down from the roots? Genotype, phenotype. What's the difference between genotype and phenotype? And so I get the students to circle genotype is the genes of the alleles. And, and so they can work out what they've got to do there. This morning, we've been talking about the hooks, the mnemonics, face for music. Yep. I said every good boy deserves favour. You said every green bus drives fast. There we go. A story, a story to remember a sequence is really useful. I've spoken about Chessington. A trip to Chessington World of Adventures describe how an, an, a neuron transmits. It could be a song. I've spoken about the circulatory song. It could be a mind map. 
that you're using to remember the information. It could be a revision card, it could be a video. What are those keywords for your answer? Because at the end of the day, that is what the examiner is looking for. They're looking for a shopping list of words that they can then tick off and say, yes, achieved. You know the keywords, you can write your paragraph headings and then think about the words you're going to put in there. If it's describing something, give a description of. If it's explain, give an explanation of. Put the word because in. If it's analyze or if it's evaluate, you've got to make sure that you're satisfying those command verbs. It's really important to look at the number of marks. How many lines do I need to write? And how long am I going to spend on that question? Referring back to analyze and evaluate, what are the possible answers? Pros and cons, for example. It's really important to know what you do and you don't understand. And the question you were talking about earlier, how you weren't sure if you had understood that. You wrote three words and this other girl wrote half a page. Um, you were worried you got it wrong, but you actually got it right, which was brilliant. Levels of response, level one, two, and three. Level one's basic. It's going to be identify name and list, a very short response. Level two is going to be sound, a sound discussion, sound analysis, some structure to that answer. And level three is going to be an in-depth answer. So it's going to be the opinions, your opinions of others, theory. It's going to be a detailed analysis related to the question and appropriate terminology. But something you can train for, and different subjects are different because they have a different way of answering those questions. And it could be how I answer the questions. It could be pros and cons. It could be point, example, explanation, relate. Point, example, explanation, link. It could be you have to put evidence in, or it could be simply explain. It's really important to put your own opinions, opinions of others, and theory, particularly in a, a complex question you're answering, and use that appropriate terminology. And sometimes that terminology is difficult for a dyslexic student, but to break that terminology down, maybe from the roots, or give a way of remembering that. And one example with a boy I was working with, with hypo and hypertonic urine. I said, so, John, when you go in the pub, because you're over 18, and you drink beer, he said, no, miss, I don't drink beer, I drink cider. I said, when you go into the pub on a Friday afternoon and drink your cider, you will go to the toilet and you will produce hype, oh, I need a wee, urine. So hypotonic urine is very watery urine you get when you've drunk a lot of water. He goes, I've got it, miss. And what's the other one? Hypertonic urine. So if you were out in the desert and you hadn't drunk anything, it would be rather smelly. So it'll be hype, uh, it smells, tonic urine. Yeah, and so that's how we remembered it. That was his hook remember that complex terminology. I'm now going to see how long I remember hypo and hypo. <laughs> I see that's. I see how long I remember that one. Um, but I saw that example is really good because you're, you're in theory you're you're tackling a question at a time, mm -hmm. but basically what you're doing is bringing all that key information you've already got. Mm -hmm. That what it was. What is the question telling me? What keywords is in there? What am I going to? And it's basically sitting there going, 
So with all of this information, how am I going to answer it? And it really just makes it really obvious. Mm. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. It's a bit like a highway code book, isn't it? You know, when we learnt to drive. Yeah. You had a highway code book to learn to drive. This is like a... That's right. Do you find with your students that you almost the first time you do this, it takes ages. Mm. Then the more you use it, the quicker it gets. And in theory, as you get much further, you probably don't even use it, but you just look at it and go, they're doing it in the head. They're answering those questions in their head and they're giving that confidence. Mm. I like that. So that's available from Oka, Oka Books. Books. Yeah. They've published that. It's a recent thing. I, you know, it's only been published. I was only actually published about two or three weeks ago. So it's quite new. I mean, I wrote it last summer, but it takes quite a while, obviously, for the artist to decipher my hieroglyphics. And quite often it comes back and there's a spelling mistake because it was probably my writing she couldn't read. So now any words I put anywhere, I, actually, I, I type them up as well to make sure she can understand what I've written. That makes a lot of sense. So coming to the end of the podcast, so uh, we will put in a link to the exam question task board in the links. Also, um, Oka Books will be producing the Dyslexic Grade Riser. Mm -hmm. In a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. uh, And also be putting links to BDA. And also I'll see if I can find some links to Vespa, Elevate Australia, Scanning Pens and Dolphin. So we can share Mm -hmm. that with everyone. Mm -hmm. So big thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Dale. It's been amazing. Oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Problem is when I sit there and going, that explains those bad GCSE results in my life. Mm. I wish I'd known that <laughs> earlier. Hopefully my children won't make the same mistakes. I can try and help them if they'll listen. So as I said, we'll put links to all in the show notes uh, and you can find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com. And you'll find links to all the different platforms we're available on. You can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up to date and find out when each episode is released. Alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter at the Sencast, on Facebook, the Sencast, on Instagram, the Sencast, or on LinkedIn, just search for Sencast. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else, please send an email to hello at the Sencast.com. And if you enjoyed the Sencast, please have a look into the virtual Send conference. This is a conference like the Sencast is run by B Squared. It covers all aspects of SEND. So we have had Neil McKay talking about dyslexia on there. So if you want more information on dyslexia, you can uh, listen to his talk. He's also done a session on preparing for exams for learners as well. So, but what makes the virtual Send conference difference is you access it across the internet. You don't have to go anywhere. It comes to you. The conference runs twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with each session have something you can take away. So you can buy tickets for future events or past events. The videos are always available, so you don't have to watch them on the day. You can watch them whenever it suits you. The cost for each conference is £60 and covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're giving you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. If you're a parent or a carer of a child with special educational needs, you can also access parent talks from Virtual Send Conference. So this kind of follows the same idea, a way of accessing advice and support through a range, number of talks across the internet. Uh, but for parents, the cost is only £10 per ticket. So if you're interested in the Virtual Send Conference, go to www.virtualsendconference.com. If you're interested in parent talks, go to www 
virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. So thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you very much, Dale. Bye.